Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome, friends. Welcome back to part two of our of our interview with uh, Linda LaRocca. And for those of you who are just climbing into my caboose for the first time, remember... The, uh, the angel seats are up there. If you want to climb up there, get a little better view from the cupola. Uh, if you want to stay down here with us uh, next to the coal stove, uh, you'll be warm, especially with that snow batting up against the uh, the windows. And uh, we've got the frying pan out, though, and we've got some slices of free-range pork in there. And uh, oh, uh, yes, indeed, from Happy Happy pigs that live, and so uh, we're going to have uh, bacon and eggs. But we we actually will save some bacon and eggs for you. How's that? Okay, Linda Laraca, a very well known poet, uh, published poet often. Um, she's just been reading us some poems, including a couple nostalgic poems, uh, going going way way back to our. Seems like we all had. <laughs> We were all kids next to railroad tracks. Anyway, um, Linda, over to you, and let's hear some more poems and think some more about what's going on here. Okay, thank you, Forrest. Um, this next poem that I'm going to read is really short. My introduction is way longer than the poem itself, but it's, um, it's a classic by Ezra Pound. And mm -hmm. Pound was the founder of the Imagist poetry movement. So, of course, you know, imagists would favor precision and imagery, which he did, and really use clear, sharp language. Um, and so with this particular poem, I read that he, it took him a really long time to write it, and he pared it down, pared it down, kept shortening it and shortening it until he got to its real essence. And he was influenced with this poem by the Japanese haiku form, the five, seven, five syllables. And of course, haiku um, uses images from nature to connect the momentary with the, um, the timeless, the transcendent, connect man with nature. And so you would not know that this had anything to do with a train or a railroad except for the title. And because it's so short, I'll read it twice. And it's called, in a station of the metro. The apparition of these faces in the crowd, petals on a wet black bow. So here it is again, mm -hmm. in a station of the metro. 
the apparition of these faces in the crowd, petals on a wet black bough. And um, Pound here was really like trying to compare uh, petals and how, how soon they fall with the fragility and um, brevity of human life making the, the people's faces into petals. And I think he did a great job. I can't believe 14 words, yeah. anyone could do this. <laughs> amazing, just amazing. Well, and he was amazing. Goodness sakes, you know, as you say, he, he made the images thing. You can just imagine you're sitting, somehow I always think it's a French metro station, but I, I don't know where, but, and, <laughs> The door just opens for a second and you see those humans and and that 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 quickly then they're gone. Exactly. They're gone. Pound himself was pretty nuts. <laughs> as you know. I yeah. mean I he he had a a, a he a love affair with the Italian fascists. I don't know if you ever followed that out. What what happened there? He just went off the tracks, or I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, I I think sometimes that we have to separate the artist from the art, you know, yes. because when we look at, at um, personal beliefs of some people, and, and certainly this is true of poets, um, they're distasteful. They're they're it's hard to believe that this could be the same person who's writing these, these beautiful lines. And so um, I'm really big on, on separating the two, like, like with uh, Carl Sandburg using the word Dago. It's, it's, to me, it's like, I need to think about the art and, and try not to think about how distasteful this person's um, personal views may be to me. I don't know if other people would agree with me on that, but that's how I try to do it because boy, a lot of artists really are uh, problematic as human beings. Yes, I, I will chime in here on that, uh, Linda, in that I find it in the music it very much. And I like your separation way because oftentimes these musicians have very rough lives. Um, alcohol, drugs, what have you. And, but they put out this beautiful artwork, songs, written poems. Um, and, you know, you just like, wow, where does that come from? How do they do that? I've often wondered how these uh, musicians who are on the road um, can come up you know, on the road cannot be that great of a lifestyle. And where do they come up with these beautiful songs out of their, I don't know, I guess they dream them or they see them or they something. Anyway, I, I agree with you. Separation is, is key. Well, that's one person, right? You and I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, it's important, important to do that. Um, yeah, I, you know, trying to trying to keep that separation is difficult. I I once took a semester long, <laughs> it was only a semester course in uh, Jungian psychology, and the professor who was, who there were only eight of us in the class, so we had a lot of fun. But he he 
kept pointing this out, kept saying, sometimes you'll have a dream sequence and stuff and you'll say, that can't be me. I'm not a mass murderer or rapist or whatever. But uh, he said, remember, you're, you're also at some level tapping in to the uh, collective unconscious. Your unconscious is picking up, uh, whether you believe this or not, I don't know, but picking up vibes from the, the general unconscious that's just out there. And then the, your dreams are picking that up and saying, gee, what do I do with this? <laughs> what do I do with that? How, how do I deal with this, this ad commercial I've just heard? Or, uh, or a funny ad commercial, like the Carnation Milk jingle, which I read to Rick the other day, which, which came back in its complete form about six weeks ago. And I'll, do, I'll just say that, this is what, uh, 1940, a Carnation Milk Company offered $100 for a, a jingle. And um, they, got, they got one in. They said, we can't read this on the air, but if we could read this on the air, it would get it. And it was from a, and it turned out to be from a, a, a 12 or 13 year old girl. Carnation Milk is the best in the land. I'm holding it right here in the little blue can. <laughs> no shit to shovel, no hair to pitch, no hay to pitch. Just poke a little hole in the son of a bitch. <laughs> she, she was going to get the hundred dollars, but they, 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 I don't know what they sent her. Maybe a can of carnation milk. But I'm thinking, where does a, a young, almost teenage girl, in the backcountry of Iowa in 1939, where does, where does she come up with this stuff? You know, it's. <laughs> It's just that, that, that Professor Meany, his name was Professor John Meany, what a name. But as the Jungian professor would point it out, that it's floating around out there in the, in the unconscious. <laughs> and um, and that, that, that was his whole theory about how Nazism arose, that um, it, was, it was out there, the, the, uh, all, all, of, all, of the, all of the ancient stuff Going back to the Stone Age was was out there where we would grab our clubs and go out and what? Butcher and onyx or whatever. We, we you know that that all of that stuff would come up and that, that that's what was was getting expressed here. So I don't know how we feel about that. What do you think, Linda? Do you think some are some poets tapped? Are we tapped into some of that really deep archetypal stuff? I think everybody is a poet, whether you're a poet or not. I think we all are tapped into that kind of collective unconscious. And that's why some of these really inexplicable um, images or, or thoughts or experiences happen to us that we're, we're all connected. I mean, we've been talking about connections made by railroads and train trips, but we're connected spiritually. I don't know how, I can't explain it, but it sure seems like we are. And, and perhaps poets are a bit more deeply connected. I don't know though. I don't, I don't think poets are superior beings in any way. It's just that maybe we're writing it down, you know, and, and, yeah. and preserving it. Deep discussions here in the caboose this morning. <laughs> <laughs> my, my. But uh, railroads bring this out. I, I <laughs> do. Uh, long, long train trips. Those are the, the ones where you get talking to somebody and you're, you know, you're headed from Denver to 
Oakland and all of a sudden you're in Oakland, <laughs> you know, still on the same topic. Um, oh my, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the collective unconscious. Well, well, uh, as Rick would say, are we talking about railroads today or what are we talking about? <laughs> we're going, we're getting back. We're talking about everything. So we're about talking about life. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get back to some. You've got mo lots more poems. Let's get back I to do. some more poems. Yes. Um, I'm going to read one of mine next, and it's it's a haiku, and it is in the Japanese form, the five seven five syllables. So because it's so short, I'll also read this one twice. And again, haiku never have titles. Smoke in autumn air, geese flying in formation distant train whistle. So here it is again. Smoke in autumn air, geese flying in formation, distant train whistle. And that was my haiku. And I will say that um, train whistles always have made me sad. They've always given me this feeling of longing and, and just a sense of, oh, I, I don't know where that train is exactly but I want to be there. And so I, I, I do, I feel very melancholy when I hear a train whistle. Do yeah. you? I know I do. I do. I, you <laughs> both do? Mm -hmm. Pretty much, pretty much. And on Sunday morning at uh, nine, you can listen to this show uh, on uh, KHEN 106.9, uh, our, our sponsoring station. And uh, you can listen to that. And um, when we finish at 9.30, there's the woman who does some, something called Big Bird. I jokingly call her Big Bird Mother. She plays about 25 minutes of train songs that she's found from all over the place. I would say 90% of them are very nostalgic, very, you know, pretty sad. My favorite, the Midnight Special is all about that. And... Um, yeah, yeah, those train songs are. On the other hand, as a kid that around Christmas time, that meant that maybe my hobo uncle, uh, Uncle Wen, uh, would come in, come in just smelling the way hobos smell and being made to stand on the back porch by my mother until she could disinfect him enough to, to let him in the in the house, and the, the, so that was the. Or going to bed, I went to bed by the uh, train. It was called the Tikatuka. I, I don't know why, but when it came by, I knew I had to be in bed, getting ready to go to sleep, which I did until I was a, a switchman out on the railroad. And then I still did the same thing. So anyway, yeah. Huh. What are other comments on that one, you guys? Oh. Not for me, since I wrote it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Uh, ah, that's, that's, well, uh, I, have, I have another one here. I'm still doing railroad poems. And I have another one by Chris Ranzik, also from his book, Never Summer, Poems from Thin Air. And I think you'll really like this one. It really captures a derailment. And that's the title of the poem, Derailment. The train had come off the tracks, a grinding heard two miles away, 
the low, dull sound of hollow steel buckling and warping, wheels ripping at ties and gravel, the sudden halt to it all. The cold stunned him, and he left his engine running, afraid it might not start again, aware he was the first one there amid boxcars scattered like chunks of dark rock. First came a strange silence, then a thing more quiet, snow, wet and heavy, falling on the hood of his coat. The moon illuminated cars, all empties, and the light made a hollow sound so soft and pale, he felt like sleep had spilled all over the tracks, all over the bed of stones, so like his own. Later, he drove back along the rutted access road, sliding on patches of ice, frozen in gullies and chuck holes. In the rearview mirror, the sheriff's lights grew faint, diffusing in the February air, dry as a ghost's kiss. And that was derailment by Chris Ranzik. And I think it really does capture that, that, that horrible moment of derailment and then the after effect. He really does, doesn't he? He's, oh, uh, my. You know, he's, um, unfortunately, he passed away um, November 2019, way, way too young. Um, and he was such a great guy and a wonderful poet. But he grew up in um, upstate New York and then came west. He, he went to graduate school at the University of Montana and then came to Colorado. And um, he, he has in his poetry that, that incredibly keen sense of observation. He's so painfully aware of his surroundings and, and, it, and it works, it works beautifully in his poetry. We lost a, a brilliant poet way too soon. Driving away in the, the chuck holes in the road and the sheriff's lights be, becoming dimmer and dimmer in the snow. I mean, that's, there. he, he puts you right there, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He does. I think he does. Oh, I think he does too. You say, well, how, how did we, why did we lose him? Just, well, I'm dealing with bodies. We all have these bodies, don't we? I, <laughs> his body just had had enough, maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah. It just, how old it, was he, would you say? He was 57 only. Oh, my. So he, he was way too young. And, and again, like I said, a lot of people in Salida do know him and will remember him. He was very well known in Colorado. Mm. So he's a great guy. Um, I have one more railroad poem. And then if there's time, I'll read a, a couple of my own. I wanted to end on a lighter note a little bit. So oh, yeah, um, we've been we've been pretty heavy. <laughs> we've been pretty heavy. Yeah. Yeah, we've been pretty heavy. So I took a poem from Robert Louis Stevenson from his uh, 1885 book, A Child's Garden of Verses. And I have to say about this, when I was a kid, I had this really giant sized um, copy of this book and it was beautifully illustrated and it was just one of my treasures. I, I loved his poetry and I loved that book. And so this poem, it'll really evoke the movement of a train kind of like the way Auden's poem did in certain stanzas. Um, this one does the same thing and it's called From a Railway Carriage. Faster than fairies, faster than witches, 
bridges and houses, hedges and ditches, and charging along like troops in a battle, all through the meadow, the horses and cattle, all of the sights of the hill and the plain, fly as thick as driving rain. And ever again, in the wink of an eye, painted stations whistle by. Here is a child who clambers and scrambles all by himself and gathering brambles. Here is a tramp who stands and gazes, and there is the green for stringing the daisies. Here is a cart run away in the road, lumping along with man and load. And here is a mill, and there is a river, each a glimpse and gone forever. Mm. I think that really captures how it is when you're on a train, right? <laughs> I agree. That's a great poem, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Those, those, those poems from when, when you were kids, I'm sitting here looking at a, a, a child's garden of verses. A child's garden. Of, I think I know everyone. And that is in there, by the yeah. way. It's in there. I don't know. Maybe, and this isn't beautifully illustrated. This is pretty cheap. <laughs> Mine was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my poems, and particularly, as you say, well, particularly railroad poems. Railroads show up, trains show up all over the place in the, in the, the collective unconscious of the railroad mind, uh, whatever. No, that, that's well, anyway. true. I think we all have that, like, that, that desire for adventure. And no matter how modern things become and how fast um, travel becomes, the trains, nothing, nothing uh, symbolizes or epitomizes adventure like a train, to me, anyway. And I don't well, think that's that right. change. And look at, the, we interview on this show, various people who are involved in groups like uh, Colorado, Colorado Association of Railway Passengers, other groups like that, the Friends of the Southwest Chief, um, all these groups that exist, people who, uh, I, I don't know quite how to put it. They, I mean, they realize that, first of all, they realize they're kind of getting screwed because they're paying a lot more than they ought to per mile compared to what people pay to go in an automobile or an airplane, where you pay for maybe a quarter or a third of your fare, whereas on a train, you're, you're paying 90% of it right there on the spot when you buy that ticket. And, 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 you know, that, that exists out there a lot. And, and, but nevertheless, they would rather take the train. They, they realize the deck is slightly stacked against them, but they're willing to pay more to get from here to the West Coast or the East Coast to do that. Yeah. My, 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 my. Well, go, go ahead. What, what's next now on your list of poems that you've got here? Okay, now I'm moving into some of my own poems. Um, and this is a, a poem from my chapbook, The Stillness Between, and it's called Asunder. I wanted to say, do not, do not go. The leaves are so bright in summer, so soft, so soon they are fallen, sun slanting, gold splashing the smooth shadowed stone. But how could I ask you to stay? The white swan will not stoop to the water, impatient to float in the clean, empty sky, wings outstretched in the silence that carries it home. And that was my poem asunder. 
Mm. Very, very nice. Thank very you. nice. Um, very nice. Well, go ahead. Say anything you want to say. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, just that I, I, the time left. I have a couple more poems that um that aren't that long that I will read really quickly, and this one is called Beware. I'm no gardener. Not for me the patient planting, pruning, pulling of weeds. I rather like the weeds. Like me, they go where they're not wanted. They're untidy and their roots run deep. Why weeds when dandelions grow more yellow than the yellow rose? Tiny suns in reedy grass and round as ancient gold. Some ladies of a certain age decide they will wear purple. Me, I let my lawn go wild. I let it fill with dandelions, naked in the tangle with weeds tucked behind each ear. And there, I'm dancing on my glitter grass. Oh, how the neighbors talk, how they complain, then how I laugh. So that, was <laughs> that is uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> That was a fun one to write. Anyway. <laughs> that was my poem, Beware. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, oh. So I, I guess, should I wrap it up with one more? I, we have time, Linda. Okay. This is another poem from the same chapbook um, that I just had a lot of fun writing, and I have fun reading it, too. And it's called In Sympathy with Eve and Adam, Postgarden. <laughs> You sent them away before my time. Two small bites of one small apple. Was it rosy, red, yellow, green? And you gave them the sacred boot. Being omniscient, you should have known that telling children, all but this one is yours, all but this one, this one you cannot touch, would only guarantee that they would never rest until their fingers grasped forbidden fruit. Why make a test then that they would surely fail? And why make me responsible? Make all of us these eons, make us pay. You hold, I fear, the mother of all grudges in your awesome breast. I would suggest a therapist, but you, from what I've read, would simply thunder Tend first your own garden, strangle your own weeds, my daughter, smooth your rutted rock-strewn soil. And so I will, I do. I make a place for corn to grow and carrots, onions, parsley, peas. I cultivate potatoes, train the rows to run along the wall. I hold up the hydrangea heads, raise sunflowers in mourning. Upon my knees, I turn the earth and say that it is good. So that was. Oh. <laughs> now, can I come and can I, shall we, <laughs> if you see a strange car lurking, that's us checking out your front yard to see, if, <laughs> to see if it really looks that way. I, I, oh my. Well, this has been one of the nicest mornings in the old caboose that we've had in a long time, not to denigrate anybody else's morning, but this, this has been really nice. And I see that the coal stove there in the corner of our caboose, right by the conductor's table, it, it's, it's burned down. So we'd probably, instead of adding more coal, it may be time to, oh my goodness, 
Yes, indeed. The engineer, he's giving us the, the, the whistle. All right. Well, let's, let's, okay. Somebody light a fusee. Somebody open the window so we can throw that beautiful fusee out into the snow there. And we're all going to say hi, ball. And somehow, thank Linda LaRocca. What a morning. What a poet. What, <laughs> what wonderful words from her, Linda. Oh, gosh. We'll, we'll have to think about these themes for weeks, weeks to come here in the old caboose. So we're going to end this, this show of I'm, I'm your conductor, Forrest Whitman, my caboose. There's our engineer, Rick, Rick White, who pulls the caboose from, from his end here at KHEN 106.9 on your FM dial. Remember, you can always listen as a podcast anytime you want to. And it's also on iTunes anytime you want to just add some poetry to your life. All right, we're ready to give the high ball. Is the fusee lit? Is the, is the window to the caboose open? Are we ready to pull? Are we ready to say high ball? One, two, three. High ball, high ball, high ball, high ball. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.